Hello, and welcome to another episode of Markill's Credit Eco to Go, curbside thought leadership for financial services. My name is Joanne Needleman, and I am a partner at Clark Hill, as well as a member of the firm's banking and financial services practice group. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Carol Pittman, founder and CEO of Red Knot Third-Party Risk Solutions. Carol's expertise and thought leadership has garnered recognition by C-level executives in the financial services industry in the United States and Canada for over 25 years. Red Knot brings economically sensible help to companies needing a high-touch approach to their vendor management solutions and third-party relationships. Carol, I am so honored to have you all as a guest on Credit Eco to Go. Welcome. Thank you, Joanne. Just so delighted to be here. Yes. You know, uh, vendor risk and third-party management is so ingrained in financial services. It's... Uh, they have been key outsourcers of, of, of all kinds of work. And it's not just a little bank with people sitting in the back doing all the work anymore. Uh, usually uh, banks and financial institutions have vendors all over the world who assist them uh, in bringing services to their customers. And you have such an important job. So I'm really excited about this discussion uh, because it is a key part of the credit ecosystem. So let's first talk about Red Knot uh, because it is so unique in its approach to vendor management. Tell us a little bit about the company, how it got started, and what your vision is moving forward. Yeah, I'm del delighted to share a little bit about that. So I had a, a background in banking for 15 or so years when I started Red Knot 12 years ago and really born out of the uh, very active merger integration environment coming out of the economic downturn. And then with the regulatory and compliance piece really heating up, uh, we focused more on helping those um, in the financial services industry really stand up their regulatory and compliance programs as they you know, were continuing to be enacted during that very um, busy period of legislation. And ultimately landed on third-party risk management as a key area where we could really be hands-on with our clients and make a difference for them. And it's been great in that we've evolved to a fully managed service around third-party risk management. You know, and for, for those who um, may not know the short answer for third-party risk management. It really relates to the governance and monitoring of vendors and suppliers with whom companies have business arrangements. So essentially, we're ensuring that service providers don't expose companies to risk and get them into trouble. And um, we've had the awesome privilege of building um, out, um, you know, a, a program that governs vendors now from Asia to Europe and coast to coast here in the US and, and Canada for our highly regulated clients. And in terms of the vision, I think we're just continuing to go deeper and deeper in these client relationships where we, we really were called upon to step in and help them get their arms around the requirements, help them you know, close any gaps, and then we actually execute the program on their behalf. So we're actually governing and doing risk monitoring of their uh, vendor relationships. And now 
we're able to help some of those clients going in deeper into cyber risk security and understanding um, you know, more of the um, obvious business continuity and, uh, um, and other needs that have become so prevalent with the pandemic. Yeah. We're just finding more and more areas to be hands-on. And so my vision is that we will continue to build out and go even deeper into the various ways that that can uh, connects throughout their company to be sure that we're engaging all of the stakeholders across the company, as well as being able to ensure that they're protected from a risk standpoint. Right. And I have to think that technology has really been a lifeblood for your industry. Oh, it absolutely has. You know, you're talking about the critical aspect, whether it is the consumer's demand for technology, especially in digitization, mm-hmm. or whether they are trying to, um, you know, get the upper leg on the competition, the technology piece has been such a key driver. Um, and I would say, you know, on the demand side, those, those items that I just mentioned are true, but also just in helping them optimize and streamline and be more, more profitable because they're doing things more efficiency, uh, efficiently as they're leveraging technology. Yeah, it, it's, it's really amazing. Your industry really has, not, has changed so much and it's changing every day. And it's, it's amazing when I see what, what, what is happening. You, you mentioned in the last segment, um, you know, now more than ever with, with this, this crisis and this pandemic, uh, understanding relationships with you ha- with, that you've had with vendors. Um, you know, the oversight has always been important, but m- my gosh, <laughs> never been so important as it has in the last four months. Um, why are determining the right relationships so important? Well, you know, it's times like this where partnerships are really tested. And what I try to you know, help our clients understand as they're approaching potential vendor relationships is that it goes beyond just building the requirements to meet a need. Um, it's very, you know, simple to send out an RFI or an RFP with a list of requirements. But when things like this happen, you need a partner that's going to be flexible, that's going to understand the urgency of the situation, who's going to be, you know, burning the midnight oil, if you will, to take care of you and, and to ensure that the services can continue. You also want to really get inside how that organization, you know, philosophically is approaching their, uh, their work and the way that they are reinvesting in their business. You know, one of the things that we've learned in assisting our clients through this process is that many companies were not prepared. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when this happens, the downstream impacts can be very significant. And so what we've tried to do is bridge that gap and, you know, work with service providers to say, hey, you're not in trouble. We're all in the boat together, but let's be candid and let's be transparent about how we're going to work our way through this. And that really takes a, a, a partnership approach on both sides. Um, so certainly we feel like that's got to be key going forward, not only underpinning existing relationships and trying to shore up any gaps that you have around what you've learned in these last couple of months about your relationships, but certainly going forward, it, I think philosophically you've got to know more about how that company's reinvesting. That's right. And, and talk about 
audit in real time. And I'm sure, you know, a huge part of your oversight is looking into vendors and what their business interruption plans are, business continuity. Uh, this was, th th this happened right before our eyes. So it, it must've been very, very interesting. Uh, and looking at it from a different lens than you would normally look at speculating what, what a company would do and now actually seeing what the company did. And, and you and I have talked about this. There were companies that literally had to pivot within a week's time, moving hundreds of people and, and, and lots of technology and laptops and computers into people's homes with very short notice. And uh, it must have been fascinating to watch. Well, you know, it's so easy to get caught up in the um, fog of war. And I think that's a term that some <laughs> sorts of things that happen. Yes. And, you know, not only were our clients trying to help their employees through this uh, very unique period and make sure that they could work from home and that that would be done securely. But then there's this whole, you know, how is my vendor going to support me through this? And so in, in order for us to keep the focus, we depended on data because at the end of the day, if you're collecting data and you allow it to tell you the story, you can identify the trends that can point you in a more targeted way where you should be concerned. And so that's ultimately the approach that we landed on just because we have, you know, we have multiple clients um, with thousands of vendors. There is some mutual, uh, you know, vendors among that. And so that, that did help us get some efficiencies. But I think asking questions, asking the right questions, getting that participation, getting that dialogue going between the client and the vendor and getting that data so that we could bubble up to the top which service providers were going to have some challenges and how that would impact our clients. Uh, that really helped us kind of trend out and directionally get um, to a place where we could then talk about next steps. Because if you, if you don't understand what the situation is through data and being able to aggregate data across multiple vendors and clients, you know, that was just very critical in being able to react very, um, you know, in a timely manner. Right. You were very smart to do that. I know we talked, uh, you immediately uh, at the beginning of the crisis sent out a survey and it was so telling and, 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 and the participation rate was so high, which was also very interesting uh, because it's not like any of these vendors didn't have a lot on their plate, but the participation was great. And, and there was a lot of good information there um, that will be helpful as we move forward uh, from this, whenever that may be. Um, let me ask you this, you know, when clients pick vendors, there's usually a checklist or a list of priorities that they're ultimately looking for, you know, what, how they will be able to fit in with cost savings, obviously, if it, look from an outsourced perspective, reputational risk, what's their financials, et cetera. With COVID now and, and, and the world changing as rapidly as it is, how have those must-haves changed and what are those new must-haves? You know, I think most of us have learned more in the last several months than perhaps we knew possible. <laughs> I joke a lot of times that when my career started in, in 1984, we, we thought we were all of that, you know, in a bag of chips because we had an electric typewriter that did the auto backspace. And, you know, my goodness, now look at social media and technology and um, just, it's unbelievable. And 
you know, I laugh now, my, my grandchildren, my parents, you know, people that have not been early adopters um, or had a lot of exposure to technology now do Zoom meetings and other uh, ways that, you know, they've really been able to broaden their horizons. And so, you know, I, I think it's going to change forever. And, and honestly, I've, I've sort of resisted the notion that, you know, this is the new normal and nothing will ever go back to the way it was before. I've, I've resisted that way of thinking for a while just because of human behavior. But I do believe that companies now understand that if they are positioned with the right vendors, even though those vendors may not have everything that they need right away, if they're positioned with the right providers uh, who are nimble and flexible, that they can go ahead and leverage and, and utilize technologies that perhaps they were not utilizing before. I think where we've really got to continue to focus though is are those providers also approaching all of their um, innovation in a way that still keeps the client from having risk exposures and also protects consumers. And I, I think, you know, in the work that you all are doing around work from home and what we've learned about work from home, you know, now if that continues, we've got to continue going down the path of now from a data security standpoint, how does technology continue to push us forward without us giving something up? And I know a lot of people are, are very focused on that right now. You know, how do, how do we keep it safe while continuing to adopt this at a rapid pace that's been required of us? Right. You know, it's so, I think what's fascinating by this crisis is what you thought was a good vendor in January may not be such a good mem uh, uh, vendor today. Not that what they were doing uh, has changed, but from your client's perspective, the needs have changed. Yeah, you know, we, we joke sometimes about things being put together with duct tape and unfortunately. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the duct tape is really starting to get loose and worn for, for some. They, they, they kept up for a while. Mm-hmm. And, you know, despite very heroic efforts on behalf of their teams, it's, it's just not going to be sustainable long term because of, you know, perhaps manual processes or exception processes. And, you know, so I do think that a lot of companies are looking at ways to jump in there, you know, whether they are buying that company outright or whether they're now able to advance um, adoption of some of their technologies, you know, it's, it sort of reminds me of pharmaceuticals. You know, it, formerly it, it would take a very long time for something to get approved for general use. And that's because of the, um, you know, very robust and thorough testing that would be required, you know, because humans are taking this medication. If you think about the banking industry, for example, it took, it took us a while in banking to be able to adopt some of the technologies just because of the potential risks consumers and so therefore there was an elongated business case process there was an elongated vendor selection process all of that has now been greatly compressed and not just you know just for the banks but for all financial services just because um, you know we have to think about how we um, respond more quickly and the vendors who are able to do that you know it, it's sort of that 
we've gotten a number of exceptions and exemptions through this process and it's always difficult to dial that back once you've given it you know once you've let the rope out and so i think a lot of these vendors who have been like on the precipice of really being able to gain market share in, in a more rapid fashion because of approval processes now a lot of exemptions have been removed and they're in there and people are leveraging their products and in a way that's helping businesses do it more efficiently and so it'll be interesting to see um legacy providers of a lot of the um backroom operating um systems for example you know how are those going to be impacted long term with new market entrants who are you know were poised to really get in there and take up take on some market share so it'll be interesting to see yeah, I agree. There was a there was a survey in American Banker about a month or so ago. They've been doing various surveys of C-suite level executives um, in banks and financial services. And you know, it's interesting. But for this pandemic, there wasn't. There's always an appetite for technology, but not a true investment in it. I mean, banks are still working off legacy systems. Let's not kid ourselves. But because of this pandemic, uh, I think it's 70% uh, of the executives have said um, that moving forward, they're gonna be investing more in technology because that's what saved them during this time. And uh, it, it's, it's really gonna be fascinating. And again, but for this pandemic, you know, financial institutions would have never considered because of the risk and the, and the cyber issues and, and whatnot, to have people work from home. And now they're finding that it's okay. <laughs> it actually works and it's, it's saving them a lot of money. So um, maybe there's a silver lining in all of this, Carol, I don't know. Uh, but it's really interesting to see, as you say, looking at the data, looking at the changes that are happening. Uh, there's been actually some more positives than the overall negative effect of you know having this, this this awful virus you know really devastate the country and 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 the people of this country so fascinating discussion thank you so much uh, for for providing this information uh, we will be looking at this more and I'd love to have you come back and and talk more as we see once the pandemic is over uh, what those relationships uh, how different those relationships look I should say um, so before I let you go Carol. Um, at Credit Eco to Go, we always ask our guests about their to-go experiences while they have been sheltering in place. And I was wondering if you have a story to share with us. You know, we live in Birmingham and there's something wrong with Google Maps as it <laughs> our home. Yes, there is. <laughs> and it 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 doesn't seem to um it doesn't seem to take our report a problem seriously, even though we are very serious about reporting that problem because it stands between us and several delicious restaurants. Um, if you've ever been to Birmingham and been able to just uh, feast on the culinary options that you have here now. And so, you know, we've put in some long days and nights and some nights you just, you know, you want to get some comfort food. And there's a great restaurant called Little Donkey that has the most delicious fried chicken. We love it. Um, <laughs> not good for you, but you know, you have those, those days. So yes, I, I hear you. I hear you. you know, so we order Little Donkey and you know, it's, it's set up in a way you can't really contact the driver and probably for good reason. But um, 
you know, 45 minutes goes by, an hour goes by, an hour and a half goes by, and we, we don't have our little donkey. And, um, you know, I happen to look out the back because there's an alleyway behind our home, and I see this person, and, and she's just frantic, and there's actually other people standing out in the parking lot, and everybody is trying to find us when really it's just a Google Maps issue. And so I come off my deck, and I go across the backyard, and, you know, I'm, I'm like, that's my little donkey, you know. <laughs> just one of those moments when um you know I was just desperate for my my fried chicken and um and this poor soul was very desperate to do, to deliver so you know we've had a number of just issues getting our food but one of the things about it is um everyone seems to just be troopers about it um and you know being very flexible and agile through the whole thing and and trying to keep a sense of humor so that's probably the worst that we've had is just misdirected deliveries and having to actually hunt it down. It's a terrific story. I hear that a lot, but um, you know, we, we all got to do what we do for the food that we love. So uh, great story. Thank you so much. Um, one last thing we also at Credit Eco to go uh, because uh, we want to, we appreciate your time and appreciate the, the insight that you've given us is to make a donation on your behalf to a local charity or food bank uh, that is feeding the region or some sort of charity that is helping restaurant workers and businesses like Little Donkey, who I'm sure are having difficult times right now by not being able to you know, be open as much as they can. Um, do you have a uh, charity in mind that you would like to mention? You know, the folks over at the Community Food Bank of Central Alabama have been doing a phenomenal job. They have a large mobile pantry distribution effort. They have deep agency partners who have been there. You know, they're able just, just to marshal a lot of volunteers. And so it would be meaningful to them, I think. And I really do appreciate you guys donating like that. So the Community Food Bank of Central Alabama would be my choice. Well, we, we are happy to do it. And uh, all these food banks and local charities have been so vital uh, to so many folks during uh, this pandemic. And as I said, we are happy to do it. Well, Carol, and I'm also happy to say that, uh, you know, as a friend and a colleague, I certainly appreciate the fact that you came on Credit Eco to go. Uh, such an important, as I said, such an important topic. Vendor management has just become just another uh, cog in the wheel of financial services, and it is certainly not going away. And uh, we appreciate your insight. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to Credit Eco to Go. For more information on this podcast, past podcast, or future podcast, please uh, log on to clarkhill.com forward slash people forward slash Joanne hyphen Needleman or to my LinkedIn page. All episodes of Credit Eco to Go can be found on Buzzsprout and Spotify. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or have ideas for future show topics, please email us at creditecotogo at clarkhill.com. Thank you so much. Be well and stay safe. This podcast is intended for general education and informational purposes only and should not be regarded as either legal advice or a legal opinion. You should not act upon or use this publication or any of its contents for any specific situation. Recipients are cautioned to obtain legal advice from their legal counsel with respect to any decision or course of action contemplated in a specific situation. 
Clark Hill PLC and its attorneys provide legal advice only after establishing an attorney-client relationship through a written attorney-client engagement agreement. This recording does not establish an attorney-client relationship with any recipient. Thank you.